Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this this morning, and thank you for every family, every individual here, young and old. And um, we we come, um, especially this Christmas season, to celebrate what you've done in our lives. And we recognize, Lord, we all come from different places, and yet in you we are one uh, because of your blood shed on the cross, your body broken for us. We come here um, to, to worship you, to celebrate that, and, uh, and to learn, learn more about your word, learn what it is that you would desire for us going forward. So would you form us uh, this morning, transform our lives? Uh, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we started our Christmas series, and the the title of that series was Christmas Dreams. We looked at three dreams within the Christmas story, specifically, and how our lives may relate to some of those dreams. There was the dream of assurance when the angel came to Joseph and assured him that he should still take Mary to be his wife, even though she was found to be pregnant. But that pregnancy was was. Um, through the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit assured him, gave him comfort that it was the right thing for him to do to continue to marry her. Then later on, we saw that the wise men, they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod uh, to, to give him the news as well as their lives themselves may have been in jeopardy. So we saw that there was a dream of warning as well as a dream of comfort. And then the third and last dream that we looked at was a dream of guidance, that as Mary and Joseph After they had had the child, they were guided in a dream to take a different route home so that they would not be captured by their their enemies. So there was a dream of guidance. And the point of last week was, was kind of twofold. One was to say that, yes, God speaks. He speaks in our lives to give us assurance. And we need assurance, don't we? Because we live in a world Uh, which is pretty hostile to our faith, the things that we hold dear. So we need assurance. Uh, We also need warnings from God. And the reason we need warnings is because many of us, actually all of us, are tempted by sin. We're tempted by things that would get in the way of our relationships with one another as well as our relationships with, with God. And then we also need guidance to have wisdom to go through life, to make healthy decisions, to go about different things in such ways that honor God. We need those things. And, and maybe unlike the Christmas story, God doesn't always come to us in a dream to give us. Most of that assurance, most of that warning, most of that guidance comes through his word and it comes through the fellowship of one another. And, and so we focused on that a little bit, but we kind of brought it to a full circle to say we can ask God to fulfill our wildest dreams, but we cannot forget that he has already done that. He's already fulfilled our dreams through the person of Christ. He's given us the gift of his his son. And so our deepest dream is already fulfilled. And that gives us a reality to move through life, especially this Christmas season with with great hope, which was kind of the theme last week. This week it's going to be similar but different. We're actually going to look at the exact same story, the Christmas story. We don't change the Christmas story But it is good to look at it from maybe a different angle. And the angle that we're going to look at it from this morning is Christmas change. A couple questions for you. Um, You just answer in your own own head. One is, who in here, or maybe you can raise your hand, who likes change? Anybody here like change? Wow, that's fewer than I thought. I thought it was going to be about 50-50. It's not. That was about 5% of us like change. Maybe a a few more. Okay, 
uh, I'm, I'm now re-evaluating how I'm going to go forward because it's different than what I thought. <laughs> All right. So there's some that like change and, and then there's, there's others that don't. I like it. My wife doesn't. Who's right? Well, I thought I had more support from the congregation, so I was going to say me. Uh, but apparently, apparently not. Um, now, another question I want you to ask yourself, and, and uh, this is pretty crucial to what's going on this morning, is if you could, say this to yourself, if I could change one thing about myself, if I could change just one thing, what would that one thing be? What would that be? I want you to let that sink for just a second. What would it be if you could just change one thing about yourself? And now I'm randomly going to call you out to, to share what that is. No, I won't. Totally joking. Don't have a panic attack. Change. So change basically, as far as definition, is pretty simple. Change is is someone or something that becoming different. It's just the process of or the becoming different from the way that you currently are. Now, what are some of the different categories of change? Because change is a pretty broad subject. What are some of those different categories? One of those, one of those categories of change is organizational. There's organizational change that, that takes place. So as an organization grows, it needs to adapt to the needs of the, the people in which they serve or, or the product in which they serve when it comes to us as a church. Um, the organization, certainly the church is a people, but we are a group of people that has to make some organizational decisions. And so as we find ourselves growing to this spot, we have a growing congregation, but a declining facility and so we're talking about making this adaptation to the, the next property in this process and this is kind of a side note but in the processes of, of us growing as a church family um, one of the pr problems that we have too is parking so parking's constantly an issue and if you don't know that that's an issue you need to try to come five minutes after the service starts and there's nowhere to park anywhere. I've had a number of people say, there's, where, where am I supposed to park? And so two things about this. Um, we need to be flexible with this. And, and I want to say, if you are here on a regular basis early, like for Sunday school or serving in some way, and you have the capacity, physical capacity and ability to walk uh, a distance, we have a parking lot in gravel up on the corner up there. And there's also parking right by the tennis courts out there. So um, for the organizational growth and adaptation, if you could take advantage of those places so that there's the people that come that don't have the ability to walk long distances, and then also the people who come to our church gatherings who are new and just want to find a place to sit. I had someone tell me that they, they drove away one week because there was nowhere to park, and they came back the following week earlier, and we just don't want that. So that's just one opportunity for us. But as an organization, it needs to change and grow. We have to adapt the way that we do things in order for, for growth. There's also some like societal changes that take place in society, and, and this is because there's different generations we talked about this at our business meeting. One of, the, one of the, the great challenges of doing church, especially a community church, one of the only churches in this small town, is that we have multiple generations of people. We have, we have those that are Gen Xers and Gen Yers, the millennials, the, then there's the baby boomers. We have all of these different generations. And the funny thing about every one of these generations is each one of them communicates completely differently. 
The younger generation is almost solely through text messages. The middle generation is mostly email and some cell phone. And then the later generations or the earlier generations are almost exclusively face-to-face or through a telephone call. And so which is right? Which is the best way? There isn't a right or best way. We all communicate differently. What's the best way is that those that are younger put their stuff down occasionally and look someone in the eye. And, and communicate with them. And those that, that like to, to maybe look in the eye, they might be stretched with some technology or at least engage that younger generation in different ways. So these are just some societal changes that have to take place and must take place because not one or the other is right. We're called to, to love this community together. Um, there are relational changes that take place. I'm not clicking along. So there's, there's societal changes. Um, there are... Also, relational changes, our, our relationships hopefully grow as, as we age and grow. And then um, there are some physical changes that take place. I've got some pictures of some physical changes that take place. Um, here's one. I don't know if you recognize that. The harps are not here this morning, so this doesn't work. But that's Jameson Harp, and that is Taylor Harp, and that is Santa Shabo right there. <laughs> I don't know how many years ago this picture was taken, um, but 12, 12 years ago, so this is them today. Um, I was going to catch your face in there, Santa, but didn't have time. So uh, physical changes take place. A few more of these just because it was fun. I went through some old directories just to make you all sweat. Um, here's one. Um, Mike and Aslan King. Aslan said she was going to be upstairs in the nursery, um, and, and I don't think Mike had to work, but... Uh, there's Mike and Aslan today. Their family has changed. There's Amelie and, and, and Elias. Oh, just one more. Just because this family is here. Da, da, da. Oh, the Roberts family. And they're all here. There they are. Oh, how awesome is that? I should just leave that up there. The rest. So there's Leighton Ellery and Holland. It's just awesome. Um, this is the most recent picture, so... Yeah, awesome to think that she, there she is there, now she's leading worship for us, how, how fun. Change, t- change takes, takes place, and, um, and that's fun to go through those old, those old directions. So uh, next, and, fi- and finally, kind of where we're focusing today is spiritual change. This is change in our character, uh, change in the, in, in, in the inside, from the inside out. Those, those types of changes is really the type of change that, that we talk about when we talk about changing and in being transformed into the image of Christ. So today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the positive changes that, that can take place in your life. And by positive, I mean things that grow, uh, that, that move us from maybe a dry place or a place in life where we're stuck into greener pastures or a place in which our lives are more patterned after, after um, that of Christ Jesus. And if we talk about Christmas, and as we talk about Christmas, Christmas, if it's anything, it's all about change. And the change that this child who came in a humble way in, in, a, in a barn in Bethlehem changed so much from moving forward. So if you don't have your Bibles already, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going we're to start in verse 18. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew 1, 18. 
Verse 18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife, but he had not he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. <laughs> Firstly, as we look at this story and we look at it from the perspective of Christmas change, what we see is, is that change requires obedience. Change requires obedience. I, I say this so often. It happens nearly every week unplanned, but we, we talk in Sunday school about things that we're going to end up talking about in, in the service, and we talked at length and in depth about what obedience and specifically what submission looks like. Uh, but if, if we want real change to take place in our life, if we constantly are in a place where we feel stuck and we, we want change to truly take place, the fastest and best way, and really the only way, comes when we are obedient and we see that. This is, the, this is the fastest route to bring healthy, positive, godly change in, in our lives. Um, this is where our faith really is in stark contrast to the world in which we live. Because the world in which we live says that, that the God of life is us. We are to listen to our own hearts. We are to listen to our own ways. Uh, the problem with just listening to our own hearts is that all of our hearts are filled with so much garbage. Uh, and, and so how do we discern what is to be trusted that's within my heart? Uh, the only way to discern that is to see my heart through the grace of God. And, and, and until my heart is, is literally beating with the pulses of God's grace and the rhythms of God's kingdom and the truth of God's scripture, to look to my heart is a scary place to look. And, and so as a Christian, the place to get there, the way that we get there isn't by looking inward, um, it's looking at God. It's looking maybe upward would be another way to put it. And with biblical, with biblical um, obedience, what's awesome about this, and this should hopefully bring freedom to all of us, is that biblical obedience does not require a full understanding of the big picture. Uh, you don't have to know the full sovereignty or the full umbrella of God's control and understanding in ways in order to obey. Biblical obedience obeys without delaying. Delayed obedience in biblical terms is the same thing as disobedience. I see this oftentimes in, in the picture of marriage when I have a couple in my office and, and they're on absolute opposite ends of the spectrum and, and it feels like you can cut the tension with a knife. And, and when it comes down to it, when it comes down to the specifics of what needs to take place in that particular setting in this marriage is just 
It's just simple truth needs to be taken place and obedience to the truth, which is husbands, you, you, man, you are to cherish, you are to love, you are to sacrifice for this woman the way, what? The way that Christ sacrificed for her. And, and wives, you are a, a picture of submission. And when you submit to your husband, you're showing a picture of how the church is to submit to Christ. So what is the answer to your problem? The answer to your problem is to love and to submit or to respect. But in every case, both of those, those individuals say, I don't want to do it until the other one does it. And they sit there and they look at the opposite direction. They don't simply obey, but the pathway for them to have what they're looking for, which is closeness and intimacy in their marriage, is through that obedience. Because when one, when the man loves his wife as Christ loves, there's absolutely no way in which there won't be at some point in time the, the godly respect and reverence and submission that would follow that. And even if it doesn't, it doesn't affect the man's job because if Christ, think about it, if Christ responded like most of us husbands do, if they loved only when their wives were lovable, then not a lot of love would happen. Uh, Christ died while we were still sinners. Christ died for us in our most frumpy form, in our worst attire, and he died for us knowing that we would continue in, in our frumpiness from time to time. And so, husbands, that's our job. It's obedience. It's, it's simple. The answers are always so simple. They're not easy, but they're very simple. And wives, it is the same way. If we wait until our, our husband isn't a bump on a log, we might be waiting a long time. But if we obey God in it, then we get the blessing of God's pleasure in that, and we show a picture of what it's looking like. And I see this all the time with women who have husbands that don't love and honor God, but they submit and respect him. It is a testimony to the beauty of the gospel and a picture of how the church is to submit to the lordship of Christ in their marriage. So, so we obey without fully understanding and without all of the answers. We just obey simply because it's the right thing to do. I, I pulled up a passage here that I love in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I've got the paraphrase of the message here because it, it puts a neat, a neat wording to it. And it says, and so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They refuse for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with, the real with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learn Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life, it has to go. It's through obedience. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. What a great passage and a picture of great partnership. Change requires obedience. Secondly, change requires faith. Change requires faith. And let me put, you can, if you're writing this down, you might want to, in parentheses, write, not fear. Change requires faith, not fear. 
We have an interesting example of this in the next eight verses, starting in chapter 2. Follow along as I read. After Jesus was born in Beth in Judea, during the time of King Herod, would someone else like to read this? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 8? It would help me. My voice is going. Anybody? Thanks, Kenna. Just verses 1 through 8. Yes. Thank you very much, Kenna. Change requires faith, not fear. Now, this point is brought home to us in the negative example of King Herod. He was also known in historical terms as, as Herod the Great, and that is because he did some, some pretty good things, a few good things. One was he was known as a very, very generous king, with his wealth and his riches, he was known to just take care of needs and lavishly spend uh, the kingdom's money on those that maybe could use it. Um, he was also, under his time of, of rulership, there was peace like hadn't been seen in hundreds of years. And so that was something, that was a type of authority uh, that, that was appreciated by the people. Um, yet... Um, when we think of Herod in the Christmas story, and even when we think of Herod in, in the bigger scope of, of history, he isn't thought of as a great person. He's thought of as, as a hideous person. And it all comes down to what made him hideous as an individual was that he was an incredibly insecure individual, King Herod was. He would become insanely suspicious of anyone that might show any kind of change or growth or leadership because he thought that that person would come along and take away his authority. So his way of dealing with that insecurity was pretty ugly. He, he actually completely destroyed, killed, annihilated the entire Sanhedrin, which in those days was like the Supreme Court for, for the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin. And it was anywhere, depending on the season, from 23 to 71 Men, And he completely killed them all off, as well as a, an additional 300 Jewish rulers that were like 
congressmen or council people to just absolutely killed them and wiped them out. Later on, and this is, this is just pathetic, later on, um, he would often, as king, have to travel about. And um, he was so insecure that his wife would um, marry someone else if he died, that he had his, his soldiers that stayed home while he went away. He, he had them under orders if they, if he was to die on his trip, if his ship was to go down or he was to die in battle, they were ordered to kill his wife so that she couldn't marry someone else. Now, um, in some senses, it's, it's thankful that he didn't die while he was away, but he got suspicious of her anyway and killed her later on in his life. Um, now, he also went on and murdered her mom, Alexandra. He killed her, and he killed his oldest son, and two other sons because he felt like they might threaten his throne. Uh, it was funny, in the time, the, the secular writings of the day said um, it, was, it was better to be, or safer, better and safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be Herod's son because he was so vicious towards his family. And then finally, probably the most pathetic piece of his story, if there is one that stands out above the others, is that uh, he, he so desperately wanted people to mourn on the day that he died. But he was pretty sure they wouldn't because most people hated him. So what he arranged was that on the day that he died, his soldiers would murder all of his immediate family so that there would be mourning on the day of his death. Technically wasn't his, but apparently it would salve his insecurity. I mean, he was a pathetically insecure individual, and so much so that it comes to our story, now we see the context of why he would have all the children of the area put to death when he thought that this king of the Jews was being born. It was his insecurity that drove that. It's just, it's just a, and it's, this, isn't, this isn't made up, this is real stuff, just real, real pathetic Real pathetic stuff. So now, I say this, I know that uh, none of us, none of you in here, um, have anywhere near the, the, the level of power, authority, wealth that King Herod does. And I know that if you did, you wouldn't make the hideous choices that King Herod made. But I do know, I do know that many people here right now are held in deep, deep cat captivity to insecurities in their life. That, that the change that really should come about in their hearts and in your hearts um, isn't coming about because of fears and insecurities. And what I hope that you would take away from this, whether it be the Christmas story, is that the God desires deeply to release you now from those insecurities and from those fears, those anxieties. That is his heart. That is the true message of the Christmas story. If, if a child could come and conquer the world through his humility, then we can let go of the control that our insecurities have over us and allow God to come in into our lives and to wrap us with the arms of his love. There's, there's uh, two passages um, that I want to think of, but one that I normally will put at the end of all my emails because I need the message, and I know many, many people need the message of, of how important it is that God is close to us. And it's, it's here, it's Isaiah 6, 23, and it says, Thou will keep in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed upon thee. Whose mind is stayed upon thee. And then the second one is Luke 9.24. Jesus says, for whoever wants to save their life, they will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, they will save it. There is nothing in this life more beautiful than being lost in the love of the Savior and walking in that love. The abiding that comes from John 15, where we get to walk in, in, in the, the grace of, of his love and the beauty of his love. And so many of us are so hung up with the, the insecurities, the hurts, the, the things of the past that, for whatever reason, the voices that get into our minds and tell us one reason or another why we can't let go, why we can't move on, uh, that it's, it's getting in the way of healthy change. So surrendering that control is so valuable and so important. And one of the reasons why we might not want to surrender control, surrender those, surrender, um, those insecurities is for the third reason. Change requires pain. Change requires pain. This is certainly not a new saying or a new concept, but it's, it's very true in light of change. When our plans change, that oftentimes hurts um, when our bodies go through changes, it's oftentimes very uncomfortable. And, and when God is trying to work something new in us, there's oftentimes a great deal of pain that will come along with that. Uh, think of Mary, and this is where Mary comes into the story. We've talked a little bit about Joseph. Joseph was honorable, and, and he did. He got up and obeyed. That was one thing we didn't look at in verse 24 about obedience. The moment he woke up from his dream, it says that Joseph got up, and he did it. He obeyed immediately. So that was honorable of him. But Mary, Mary was the one in this story. Mary was the one that actually um, had to, to give birth. Uh, she had to be the one that would receive all the dirty looks from the culture around her that said she was a whore. Uh, she was the one that had to deal with the morning sickness. She was the one that had to deal with uh, the difficulties of carrying a child to full term. And she was ultimately the one that went through the labor pains and birthed to this birth the Savior. Now, I'm going to be a little bit more, I think, more, if you're familiar with this term, Pentecostal than I'm comfortable with being, but I want to use the example, and I just want to say it like this. Um, what, what is the, the change that God desires to birth in your life? What is it? Is there a change? Is there something? Is there a step of faith that God wants to birth through you? And it can be all sorts of different things. It can be a tiny step of faith or it could be um, something much greater than that. Any, any tiny step of faith is a great step of faith. What is God directing you to? Maybe it's to, to have a conversation with someone. I listened this week to what, what Mike shared about losing his son. And just again, as through tears, I was thinking how he challenged all of us. Don't wait to say the things that you want to say until it's too late. Don't wait. So maybe for you, it's a step of faith to have a conversation with someone, to, to say something that needs to be said that may be a hard thing to be said. Uh, maybe it is stepping into a ministry role. We have so many needs in ministry roles here. Maybe you're just kind of holding back and afraid because of an insecurity to step into help out in children's ministries or youth or worship or uh, or other things. I personally know that we we have um, we're 
we're overdue, if I had to use that terminology as a church, we're overdue um, in, in letting a prayer ministry be birthed out of, our, out of our church ministry. Our prayer ministry at most is three or four people on a regular basis. And that's just, we can't move forward as a church. We can't build a building. We, we can't do anything ministry of value if our prayer group is, our corporate prayer is so minimal. So I know as a church that's coming. But what is it specifically for you as an individual? What is God trying to birth in you? What is it going to take for you to be obedient, to, to trust him, to not be held captive by insecurities and fear, and then to push through the pain, to push through that in, in, this, in this coming Christmas season and then maybe beyond? I just challenge you to, to, to not just let this be a sermon where something kind of pops up in your mind and then you just leave here and... Um, go gorge on the Seahawks, uh, but instead uh, make some specific changes, and that might mean telling somebody about what you're struggling with or what your insecurities are. I don't know specifically, but honestly, we, we all have them, and the pain that we go through is so worth it. Uh, the, the pain of cutting off, um, the cutting off a, a destructive relationship or, or, or the pain of, of, of killing a bad habit will go through withdrawals, but it's, it's worth it. It's worth it because we get, it's not worth it just because we get a life of whatever comes minus that, whatever that is, that insecurity. The real benefit to all of this is when, when we, we desire change and we're obedient to follow God's voice and we put aside the insecurities and we push through the pain, what we get is God. What we get is more of him. What we get is a deep abiding relationship with Jesus Christ who says he'll never leave us or forsake us we get to come under his yoke and we get to pull together with him there's nothing ever greater than that than just walking with the savior day in and day out and we constantly have a an enemy that's trying to pull us apart from that but there's nothing greater that we have as a church to do than to just walk with the savior and to walk with him as one as a church body and there's so much that we still are going to do but it's not going to come if we aren't obedient to God's voice that comes through his word, that comes through one another, that comes through his spirit, and if we aren't willing to uh, put aside the insecurities and push through, push through the pain. I was convicted myself this, this last week because I'm on this little, uh, I guess we'll call it a diet thing. That sounds too sissy, but anyway, I'm on this trying to, trying to get my blood pressure under control and all that. I've turned 41 this year, and it's just a mess. And so I've changed the way I've eaten, and in the last couple of weeks, I've completely cut out sugar. And I'll tell you, I thought that caffeine was my biggest addiction. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Sugar. By far, sugar's the biggest addiction for me, because <laughs> I would give up caffeine for a second for a Snickers bar. Mm. <laughs> totally would. Um, and, and as I'm sitting here, and, and what's, what's great, the good news about this, uh, just a little success story, for the first time since I've ever checked it, I've been checking it regularly for months, first time for a week straight, I've, my blood pressure has been out of the high range into normal person range, which is the first time ever, which is just pretty awesome, just by cutting sugar and carbs out, which is awesome. But, and it was, it was painful to get there, by the way. Um, but the thing that convicted me with, with this process is, Oftentimes, you know, I can sit and I can give up sugar to help out my physical health, but am I really willing to give up, give up those, other, those other things that affect my spiritual health? 
uh, those, those, those bitter things in my life, those little bits of anger, um, th- those other things in my life that get in the way? Am I, am I as willing to, to suffer for the spiritual growth of my heart um, as, as I would for the, the physical health? Uh, and sometimes I think, ah, oh, it's easier to give up sugar than it is to, to give up those other those other things that are that are roadblocks to me growing in Christ, and so I just want to encourage you in this way to 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 push into change here. Allow God to change you, but He's not going to just do it. He's pretty much started the process, like it said in Ephesians four. We need to walk with Him in it, and walking with Him with Him means ridding ourselves of those things. He talks about talk. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about um, anger, um, disobedient to parent. He talks about all different things. But I think he wasn't trying to narrow it to just those things. He was trying to elevate what is it in your life that needs to be rid um, out and completely rid of. So let me pray for us. Uh, and I'll have Holland and the team. You can come back up and we'll, we'll close out our worship time together. Father, we can't, we can't um, close the pages of your word without recognizing that um, this applies to every one of us. The Christmas story is so applicable um, in each one of our lives, especially as it relates to change. And I thank you that your gift of Jesus um, changes everything. It changes the way that we think about life and world. And, and, um, and Lord, I just thank you for the newness that, is, that comes every time we revisit this Christmas story, the newness of of our salvation and the joy that comes from remembering that we don't have to have everything together on our own, that we can trust you and walk with you. And, and, um, and you've done the real hard work, Lord. But as we look towards um, yielding ourselves to you and allowing you to change and transform us into the image of Christ, that, that we would, as, as a church and as individuals, we would be willing to be obedient. We would, we would put away the insecurities. We would walk by faith. And we, we do the necessary things, the painful things uh, in our lives to, to take those steps. Guard us in this, Lord. We know that the enemy of our soul will attack us um, every time we step forward. So protect each, each person in here and us as a church as we move forward as a church. Protect us from, from any, uh, any scheming of the evil one. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.